if you're able to, if you want to stand with me as we read God's Word, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 4 and continuing through verse 12. Here's what Luke writes. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as, 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 far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are mindful this morning of the, the greatness of your gospel, of the greatness of the, the missionary task that is before us as a church. We pray that you'd help us to be faithful in it. Lord, we've, we've prayed this morning for the, the needs of, of your saints. We, we do think of Dawn and her family and the, the loss of her father, and we pray that you'd sustain them. We pray for those who are still unable to join us. We pray that you would give them uh, your comfort and, and joy. We pray for those who have been entrusted with you with this special uh, ministry of the gospel, uh, that you would help them in, in that ministry, that you would help us as a church to be excited about that mission, and we pray that you would bring up others within our church to proclaim the good news of your son Jesus uh, to those who are lost and, and perishing. Uh, we pray for your faithful, your faithfulness in our church, and in our, our task before us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you remember, but it was Father's Day of last year, of 2020, that we began looking at the book of Acts. We were out there in, in the parking lot, and we began talking about the book of Acts, and what a, what a great time that was. I'm sure you remember the, the title of the message, uh, was, I had to look it up, uh, the, the church has a mission. The church has a mission. And we, we talked about what, what is the mission of the church? What has God called the church to do? And, and I mentioned that Sunday, a year ago, tomorrow, I mentioned the, the book by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert called What is the Mission of the Church? And in that book, they kind of wrestle with what exactly is the primary task that God has called his, his church to be doing? What is this, this mission that he has called us to? And we talked about a year ago how there are, are many things that a church might do that in our, our current context are, are given 
the, the label missions. In fact, many churches want to be missional, and they, they talk about all the different ministries that the church does, and they, they put the word missions on that. We, you know, we're, we're involved in, in this mission, and we're missional because we're caring for the poor. We're missional because we're involved in orphan care ministry. We're missional because we are uh, seeking to, to, to see this community uh, strengthened and, and provided for in some physical ways. And so we kind of talk about missions, and we, and we put the word missions on a lot of different things. And you might say, well, what's, what's bad about that? Like, isn't it good to care for the orphan, and isn't it good to care for the poor, and isn't it good to care for our community and love our neighbors? And of course, the answer is yes, it, it is good to do all of those things, but there's a danger in forgetting what is the, the primary mission and, and task of the church. And, and I believe it's, it's helpful to, to use the word mission in, in a specific way as we think about what the mission of the church is. If we fail to, to rightly understand what missions is, and we put the, the word mission on everything, we can fail to distinguish between, okay, this is the primary gospel task of the church, and distinguish that from, okay, here are some individual ministries that believers might be involved in as they live out their life of discipleship. It can also, to, to fail to rightly understand what missions is, it can also lead to a lot of confusion as a church tries to decide what ministries it must be involved in and what ministries it might be involved in. And, and it, it might hurt a missions committee as they try to think through what they should be involved in as they think about all the different tasks and all the different opportunities that present themselves to a church as it thinks about doing missions. Not just a missions committee, but, but the whole church as we think about how to prioritize the different ministries that God might have us be involved in as we do missions. I mentioned last week the, the book by Andy Johnson called Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global. And he begins that book by kind of imagining a missions committee that's, that's a in a little bit of turmoil as the different members of that missions committee have different things they want to emphasize. There's, there's one guy in the missions committee who really wants to not just focus on evangelism, but on alleviating poverty throughout the world. And there's another person on the missions committee who says, you know what, we need to stop sending Western missionaries. We need to just support local pastors. And there's another person on the missions committee who says, you know, we shouldn't be paying people at all. We need to have everyone involved in, in uh, taking jobs overseas to spread uh, the gospel the gospel message. And another person in the missions committee says, hey, we need to totally focus on short-term mission trips. And the, the committee's kind of in a turmoil because they're not exactly sure what, what missions is and how to prioritize the different opportunities that come before them. I mentioned last year, as I'm sure, again, you remember, and as you're flipping through your notes, you have down. Uh, I had to look it up, too. Uh, Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert in their book, I, I think they do a great job defining the mission of the church. They say that the Great Commission is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. As our missions statement says, we exist as a church to glorify God as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare people to worship him forever. That's what we're about as a church. With that in mind, let, let me give you two definitions. These are in your notes because I know it's a lot to write down. Let me, let me give you two definitions that I think will help us this week and next week as we think 
specifically about missions and missionaries. As uh, one of our workers shared this morning during the Sunday school class, uh, sometimes the word missionary can, can mean a lot of different things to different people in different cultures. Here, here's what we mean by, by missions and missionary. First of all, here's missions. Missions, when we say missions, what, what do we mean specifically? Missions is the unique, this is from Andy Johnson's book again, missions is the unique, deliberate gospel mission of the church to make disciples of all the nations. Evangelism that takes the gospel across ethnic, linguistic, and geographic boundaries and gathers churches and teaches them to obey everything Jesus commanded. Yes, I have that memorized. No, I'm looking at the screen here, right? That's what missions is. It's, it's taking the gospel message, it's evangelism across ethnic and linguistic and geographic boundaries and gathering churches as they as people respond to the gospel message and and discipling them teaching them to obey everything that jesus commanded them what is that that's the great commission that's that's missions and we're gonna be focusing on that this morning what are missionaries missionaries then are are this This is how we define a, a missionary a missionary is someone identified and sent out by local churches to make the gospel known and to gather, serve, and strengthen local churches across ethnic, linguistic, or geographic divides. That's what a missionary is. A missionary is someone identified, sent out by local churches to make the gospel known, to gather, serve, and strengthen local churches across ethnic, linguistic, geographic divides. And we'll be looking at that uh, next, next week. We'll be talking more about that. What we want to do is we want to focus here this morning on, on this main idea. That's not a good sign, is it? It's okay. It looks worse on this than it does up there, so good. Uh, here's, here's the main idea that I want us to think about this morning. Very, just very simple. That the task of missions is to make disciples of all nations. The task of missions is to make disciples of all nations. We're going to kind of think through that as we look at the task of missions described here in verses 4 and 5, the opposition that exists to missions, and then the hope that we have of missions. And we'll talk to a couple of our workers at the end of our message again, pray for them. And for those of you who are joining us via uh, the live stream, we're going, to, we're going to cut out there, unless we've cut out already. Who knows? All right. So let's first of all talk about the task of missions, right? Uh, the task of missions, and look at your Bibles with me in verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 13. Remember, Luke reminds us that these have been sent out by the Holy Spirit. It says they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. This is Paul and Barnabas along with John Mark, we'll see in a moment. And they go down to Seleucia, and from there they sail to Cyprus. So they go to this, this port city, and then they, they, they sail to the island of Cyprus, where Barnabas has actually from. The island of Cyprus is about 60 miles off the coast in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 140 miles long, so like driving from here to Chicago, and about 60 miles wide, so driving from here to not quite Champaign, but past um, Bloomington, right? That's not, not too big of an island there. And they arrive on the eastern edge of the island. They first go to... to um, to, to Salamis, and Salamis was the old capital of the island, and they, what does it say that they do? Look at the text, verse 5. It says they proclaimed the word of God, and as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, as a person is proclaiming the word of God, they're proclaiming the gospel. 
They're going to the scripture and they're saying, okay, here's, here's what God's word says about who we are. Here's what God's word says about his redemptive plan. Here's what God's word says about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the, who's the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, who is the, the, the coming king, the seed of David. This is who Jesus is, and your responsibility is to recognize your need for a Savior and to place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Believe in him. Trust in him. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? They do what the church has done throughout the book of Acts. They go to God's word, to the scripture, and they teach. They say, here's what the gospel is. Here's what you need to believe. What I want you to see here as we look at what Paul and Barnabas are doing is the centrality of God's word in the mission's task. God doesn't call us to either be a gospel preaching church or a gospel teaching church. They're, they're one and the same. He, he, he mentions here too, Luke does, that they're doing it in the synagogues. They're doing these places of teaching. These are places with the people who are Jews, who are already people who believe that God's word is authoritative. And so Paul and Barnabas go into these places where God's word is being taught, and they say, look, here's God's word. Here's who Jesus is. As we see them on this missionary journey go to places where there are not Jews, they're going to proclaim the same gospel but in different ways. They're taking these gospel truths and communicating them in ways that people can understand. They're teaching. Notice here Luke also mentions John Mark. We're going to talk more about John Mark next week. But John Mark is here at this point in the missionary journey helping Paul and Barnabas. So, we're talking here about the task of missions. Are we, are we caught up a little bit here on the, on the power, on the, you know, okay, good job. So we're talking here about the task of missions, and the task of missions is the, the Great Commission task, to make disciples by going, by teaching, by baptizing. We're proclaiming the word of God. The task of missions is, is not ultimately, this is important to understand, I think, the task of missions is not ultimately about alleviating poverty, it's not ultimately about building houses or achieving biblical justice in a society. It's about teaching the truth of the gospel revealed in Scripture with the aim to persuade. Now you say, hold on, Daniel. Wait just a second. Don't you care about the poor? Don't you care about the orphan? Don't, don't you care about justice? And the answer is yes. Yes, and yes, of, of course I do, and you should as well. You said, well, well then, well, how can that not be the task of missions? Let's talk just for a minute here about the task of missions versus the fruit of discipleship. Again, what is the task of missions? Missions is to make disciples of all nations, and how do we accomplish that? Through the contextualizing of gospel truths, to, to going to a culture and saying, okay, here I am in Cyprus, here I am in a synagogue, now I have the responsibility to take God's word, the gospel message, and, and teach it to these people here in Cyprus in a synagogue. I'm talking to a Jewish audience, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the Jews about here's what the Old Testament scriptures say. They're already going to believe some things about God, and, and so I'm going to take that gospel message, I'm going to contextualize it, I'm going to communicate it in a way that's appropriate to people on the island of Cyprus who are Jews. But now I'm going to go into a different culture. I'm going to talk to Gentiles in first century, and I'm going, to, I'm going to communicate the same truths, but in a different way. I'm still taking God's word and teaching it with this aim to persuade people of the truth of the gospel. Now I'm in 
uh, the, the 21st century, and I'm in central Illinois, and I, I'm going to be doing the same thing. I'm taking the gospel truths. Here's who God is. Here's who you are. Here's why we're separated from God because of who we are. Here's who Jesus Christ is. Here's the truth of God's word. I'm taking it, and I'm communicating in the cultural context in which I find myself with the aim to persuade all of us to believe in Jesus Christ and place our faith in him for eternal life. That's the task of missions. Now I'm here in the 21st century and I'm in Asia, I'm in Europe, I'm in Africa, I'm in these different places and I'm communicating these gospel truths with the aim to persuade. I'm taking God's word in a different culture and aiming, aiming to persuade people to believe in the truth of the gospel. That's the mission. We, we can't deviate from that. You say, well, what about, what about these other things that a church might be called to do? Well, I think it's important that we understand what our primary goal is because there are many things that are good that people might want a church to get involved in. We need to start a, an orphanage or we need to start a Christian school or we need to start this, this ministry in the downtown area. And, and all these things might be good things to do, but there's going to be a lot of good things to do that, that people want a church to do that aren't necessarily our, our primary task. We, we must stay focused. There's a special focus that God's Word tells the church they're to have on teaching the Word of God. We see this throughout the book of Acts. Now, at the same time, as the gospel is communicated in a culture and people respond to that gospel message, what happens? They place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're a new creature, and now there's, there's fruit that takes place in their life. There's the fruit of the gospel being lived out in their life. And, and I think it's dangerous, I think it is dangerous for us as a church to draw um, a hard and fast distinction between gospel ministry and, and the fruit of gospel ministry in some ways. In other words, we don't want to say we, we are only concerned about proclaiming the gospel, we're not concerned about seeing the fruit of the gospel in people's lives. Of course, we want to see the fruit of the gospel being lived out in people's lives. And, and historically, you need to realize this, historically in churches where we say we are only concerned about the proclamation of truth and we're not concerned about seeing the fruit of discipleship in people's lives, there's, there's been terrible things that churches have done. For example, we think about churches in the 1800s, uh, Protestant churches that said, you know what, we're, we're focused on the task of proclaiming the gospel, therefore we can't worry about things like slavery, we're not going to get distracted from the gospel, we're not going to speak out against slavery because we don't get distracted from the gospel. What did that lead to? It led to, to Protestant churches being, uh, in, in some ways, supporting slavery in the 1800s. We see this in the, the 20th century as well, as, as churches failed to condemn racism or other, other atrocities that existed throughout the world or in our culture. As a church, we proclaim the gospel. That's our, our central task, our primary task. The task of missions is to, is to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we, we call them to live lives of holiness. And so we say, okay, here's the gospel. Now, we want to see that gospel lived out. So we're going to call people to to walk in complete and full obedience to God. So here's the gospel you need to believe. Now, we're also pro-life. Here's the gospel you need to believe, and we're also uh, in, in favor of, of promoting justice in the world. Here's the gospel, and 
we also are going to speak out against sexual abuse. Here's the gospel. We're also going to speak out against sexual immorality. But the church, first and foremost, our task is to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel, to call people to believe, and we want to see the fruit of that lived out in their lives. And if we are proclaiming the gospel and people are responding to that gospel, but we're not seeing fruit in their life, there's every, every potentiality that we haven't proclaimed the gospel rightly. Discipling people have no concern for justice and mercy and, and holiness. We're not doing discipleship right. We focus on the mission so that we can see the fruit of the gospel lived out in people's lives. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 1. He's talking about the, the people in Thessalonica and how as they proclaim the gospel in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians respond to the gospel. Here's what he says. He says, our gospel, that's the, that's the content of the truth. The, here's the biblical message of who you are, how you're separated from God and who God is and how he's provided his son, Jesus Christ. He says, our gospel came to you not just in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what is the sign that a that a culture, that the people within a culture have responded to the gospel message. They hear the truth of who God is, and they're serving these idols of, of lust and immorality and, and uh, worldliness, and they, they recognize, okay, this thing that I've been worshiping, these things that I've been worshiping are, are not where joy is found. I'm going to turn from that as I hear the gospel message, the, the content of who Jesus is, and I'm going to understand who he is and his beauty, and I'm going to turn from that and turn to the living and true God and serve him instead. That's, that's the task of missions, to make disciples. And we must focus first and foremost as a church on that. As we talk about missions, that's what we're trying to accomplish, producing God-glorifying, worshiping disciples. Now here's the second thing I want us to think about this morning. Let's, let's talk about the opposition to missions. This is important for us to understand as well. As Paul and Barnabas and Mark, John Mark, engage in this ministry, it stirs some people up. Every place they go. A couple things that I want you to notice as we look here at verses 6 through 10 and the opposition to missions. Here's the first thing I want you to see. False prophets and ideologies, by ideologies I mean ide worldly worldviews and values and ideas. False prophets and ideologies permeate the world and the mission field. Look at what the text tells us. It says, when they've gone through the whole island as far as, as, far as Paphos, so they've, they've gone, uh, some, I think it's some 90 miles at this point. They're in the southwest part of the island of Cyprus. They've been traveling throughout to different synagogues, different places. Now, now they've come to Paphos. This is a, the city that's the new capital of the island. It says they come upon a certain magician. We've talked before about magicians in the book of Acts. These are uh, people who were uh, charlatans, oftentimes people who were engaged in rituals and different uh, things in order to accomplish different ends and, you know, kind of good luck charms and so forth. They, they come upon this person, and uh, magicians were discouraged by first century Judaism. He's a 
He's a Jewish false prophet, so he's someone who's outside of the normal Jewish faith, who've been looked down upon, and he's a, he's a false prophet. He's proclaiming a false message, and his name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Very ironic name. And as they go through the eye and they encounter this, this Bar-Jesus, right? What, what do we need to see here? Bar-Jesus is going to pose the, the message that Paul and Barnabas are proclaiming. And, and what we realize as we encounter, his, his name we're going to see is also Elemas. As we encounter people like Elemas, what do we realize? We realize that with whatever culture we take the gospel to, has elements of it that are set up in opposition to God and how he would call people to live. Every culture has, has set itself up in some ways against God and his kingdom. Whatever, whatever culture you're a part of, whatever subculture you're a part of, unless King Jesus himself is directly ruling over it, understand this, there are elements of it that have set, it, set themselves up in opposition to God and his kingdom. And as we take the gospel to other cultures, we need to realize there, there are elements of these cultures that are in direct opposition to God. There, there are false prophets and ideologies within these cultures that we're taking the gospel message to. There are idols. There are idols of, of wealth, a love of wealth. There is exploitation of, of the poor. There's perversion of sexuality, mistreatment of individuals, particularly those who are at the margins. There's love of power. There are indulgences of the flesh. Whatever culture we take the gospel message to, there are false prophets and ideologies that have permeated that mission field that we're taking the gospel to. We need to understand that. Missions enters a war, a battlefield, and shakes up kingdoms. Here's the second thing we see here. There's false prophets and ideologies wherever we take the gospel. Number two, notice this. The goal of false prophets and ideologies, the goal, the objective is to turn people away from the faith. The goal is to turn people away from the faith. Look at what the text tells us here about what takes place. It says, verse 7, that this Bar-Jesus, Elemas, he's with the proconsul, and the proconsul would have been the person who was kind of in charge of this, this region. Uh, he was, it seems like there wasn't a military presence here, so he wouldn't have had uh, military people at his disposal. His name is Sergius Paulus. The text tells us, too, that he's a man of uh, intelligence. He's heard about Barnabas and Saul and their ministry. And he, he, he wants to hear what they have to say. And, and the, the same is true as we take the gospel mission, uh, the gospel message to, to the mission field. There are going to be people who desire to hear it, who, who want to hear what God's Word says, that the teaching of Scripture, but there are those who are set up in opposition to the proclamation of that message. And what does it say about Elemas? It says, Elemas, the magician, for the meaning of his name, that's the meaning of his name, and, and that word Elemas can, can mean sage or, or wise person. He, it says in verse 8, opposes them. And what is, what is his objective? His objective is to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So the faith is that body of teaching that is the gospel that people are called to respond to. And what does Elemas want to do? He wants to take this proconsul who wants to hear that gospel message and, and turn him away from hearing it. The gospel, the gospel is the greatest threat that exists to any kingdom, no matter what the size. 
this is Jesus' point to the rich young ruler when he tells him, like, look, sell all that you have and, 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 and come and follow me. The, the gospel message represents a, a threat to that young ruler's kingdom. 1 John chapter 2 has these words to each of us. As John says to his beloved brothers, he says in verse 15 of John, 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the the pride of life, all of these things are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whatever mission field we take the gospel to is opposed to that gospel message. And the goal of false prophets, the goal of... false prophets who don't even know that they're false prophets, is to say, okay, here's this gospel message that represents a threat to my kingdom, and I want to do everything I can to oppose that message. If you and I as a church are going to support missions, if we're going to support missionaries, it's important for us to rightly understand the the mission field we're calling to them to. It's going to be full of false prophets and ideologies, and it's going to be full of false prophets and ideologies whose objective is to turn people away from the gospel because the gospel represents a threat to that kingdom. And what you and I need to understand, sadly, is, is that the gospel represents a threat to your and my kingdoms as well, and sometimes we're more resistant to that than, than we even realize we are. My career may need to be sacrificed for the sake of the kingdom. My relationship with my parents or or my children or relationships with, with my friends may be a cost of my proclamation of the gospel message. My finances, my my physical health. My ease of life, all of these are, are things that as God's kingdom becomes paramount in, my, paramount in my life, all of these things may need to be sacrificed for the beauty of gospel proclamation. The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, represents a threat to every kingdom. And the goal of false prophets and ideologies is to, is to turn people away from the faith, and that may even take place in my own heart. And here's the third thing I want us to see. Number three, the methods that the enemy uses to turn people away from the faith are, are varied. There, there's a variety of things that, that, hap, that, we, that we see mentioned here by Paul. And, and look what he says to Elymas as he confronts him. He's, he's pretty bold here, right? Verse 9. Saul, who is also called Paul, he's going to be called Paul almost throughout the rest of the book of Acts now as he, his ministry goes more and more to Gentiles and, and goes beyond just Judaism. It says that he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks right in the eyes of of Elymas, and he says to him in verse 9, he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So notice a couple things here about the methods the enemy uses to turn people away from the faith that that Paul mentions here. Number one, notice here, false prophets and ideologies pursue deception and destruction. What, what does Paul call Elymas? He calls him a, a son of the devil. And this isn't just some random thing that, that Paul says, well, this will be insulting. I'll say this. Uh, he says, no, son of the devil. And what, who is the devil? 
the devil is the one who opposes gospel proclamation. The demonic realm is committed to deceiving people about who God is and working destruction, physical destruction, spiritual destruction, emotional destruction. These are the aims of the demonic realm. And one of the methods that the enemy uses as we take the gospel message to other cultures to turn people away from the faith are demonic deception, demonic destruction. Like the Jews in John 8, Elymas here is doing the work of his true father, and the, the, the desire of his father, the devil, is to deceive, to destroy, to deceive people regarding the purpose of life, regarding who we are, regarding the hope of the gospel, re- regarding the beauty of Christ, to destroy people, to, to cause people to em- embrace worthless things. This is where our culture is at too, right? Many of us have had the heartache of, of seeing a loved one, or someone we're trying to share the gospel with, just just cling to things that we know are going to bring about their destruction. And what is that? That's, that's opposition to the gospel, causing people to, to cling to those things instead of, of Christ, those things that are going to, to lead to destruction. They're deceived. Uh, the second thing I want you to notice here is we think about the methods the enemy uses. False prophets and ideologies oppose true biblical righteousness. What else does, does Paul say here? He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. False prophets and ideologies are going to oppose true biblical righteousness. Now, false ideologies and prophets are completely willing to call people to moralism. In fact, they'll use moralistic words. False prophets and false ideologies within a culture are more than happy to to call people to to self-righteousness. They're more than happy to call people to, to legalism, to some of this, this prideful, well, I, I guess I'm right before God because here's this moral code that I follow. That's, a culture is more than happy. A false ideology, a false prophet is more than happy to cause people to feel a sense of self-righteousness or moralism or I'm better than someone else. That's, they're, they're completely willing to do that and they're completely happy to use moralistic language. But, it, but in terms of calling to true righteousness, to true submission to God and his call in a life, False prophets, false ideologies are going to oppose that. Think even about our own culture. This month is is Pride Month, so-called Pride Month, and just celebrating a a lifestyle that is is completely in opposition to how God would would have us live. And and the problem with Pride Month, by the way, it's it's not simply that it recognizes that the people are going to, to live in conduct themselves in sinful ways because of, I'm, I'm sure in this room of, of uh, most of us who are of a certain age, I would, be, I would be shocked if there's anyone in here who has not had wrong thoughts or attitudes about uh, issues of sexuality, something that doesn't quite align itself with what God would call us to. So th- the issue isn't sin, right? The, the issue isn't the recognition of the presence of sin. What, what's the problem with something like Pride Month? The problem is, is maybe twofold. First of all, it's an absolute refusal, an absolute determined refusal to recognize God's sovereignty over this area of our lives. And, and as it refuses to recognize God's sovereignty over it to tell us how to live in this area, there's, an in, there, there's therefore a lack of calling people to repentance. Every single person in this room needs to, to call upon God for his forgiveness and repent of sin. And if the problem with Pride Month is there's an absolute rejection of the idea that there's even sin to begin with. And the other problem, the incredible danger of something like Pride Month, is that it is a, it's, it's, it's a refusal to recognize that, or let me put it this way, 
the other problem with it is it's a an expression of of saying that what is evil <laughs> I'm saying this the wrong way the, the the other problem with it is that it's it's calling what is evil good and in fact saying that to call something evil is evil and to and saying that it's good to call something evil good I don't know if that makes sense I'm not sure if I've worded that rightly it makes sense in my head but in our culture in our culture let me see if I can do it again in our culture in our culture, to be righteous is to celebrate rebellion to God, right? To be righteous is to celebrate rebellion to God in our culture right now. It's everywhere. Every, I saw a, a Burger King commercial, a Burger King blurb somewhere. It, it was advertising this new chicken sandwich. And it said, during Pride Month, even on Sundays, your chicken sandwich craving, listen to this, your chicken sandwich craving can do good. And if you buy our chicken sandwich, we're going to make a donation to the human rights campaign for every chicken sandwich sold. So we're going to take your desire for chicken sandwich and buy our chicken sandwich. You're going to do good as we support Pride Month. It's, it permeates our culture, right? It permeates our culture. Opposes true biblical righteousness and it's willing to call people to some form of moralism, but not true biblical righteousness. Permeates every culture, including our own. A third thing here, false prophets and ideologies are underhanded, deceptive, use underhanded, deceptive means to accomplish their goals. And there's this overlap of the terms that Paul uses here, looking at the text. He says to Elymas, he says, uh, you enemy of all righteousness, and he says, full of all deceit and villainy. The idea is that they're, they're, he's using underhanded techniques to keep people from believing in God and to walk in obedience. So lying regarding goals and intentions, regarding the, the purpose of life and, and how to live in obedience. And then the, the, the fourth thing we see here, false prophets and ideologies pervert God's straight paths. He says, the last thing he says to Elymas here, he says, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So here's how God calls a person to, to walk, and, and in a culture in which there's opposition to the gospel message, what takes place? He says, okay, here's how God tells us to walk, and people who are opposed to the gospel message are continuing, tr continually trying to, to make the, these straight paths crooked so that people will walk in disobedience to God. Now, why is all of this important? As we support missionaries, as we support missions, as we proclaim the gospel in our own culture, we need to understand there are spiritual forces that are in opposition to that gospel message. And as people oppose the gospel, it, it doesn't mean that we're somehow good and, and they're evil. What it means is they're trying to preserve their kingdom and prevent people from understanding the truth of the gospel, that as I recognize my sin and throw myself upon the mercy of God, I can receive forgiveness. Our goal in missions is not to call people to moralism. Our goal in missions isn't to take people in another culture and say, look how great my culture is. Look how wonderful uh, my, my culture is. No, my culture has sinful aspects of it as well. My goal is to say, look, here is God's path of righteousness. And, and here's how I have turned from this path. And by God's grace, I, I understand the straight path. I understand what God is calling us to. And here's the beauty of walking in obedience to God. And here's the forgiveness that we can receive by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And let me call upon you 
to call with me upon God for his grace. That's the call of missions. And here's finally the hope of missions, the last thing I want us to see here. The hope of missions in verses 11 and 12. The hope of missions is not that we in our our wisdom and our cleverness will be able to persuade people of the truth of the gospel. We We are encountering forces that are far stronger than you and I have the ability to wrestle with. The hope of missions is that God will intervene in a dramatic way. Here's what happens in this story. Verse 11, Paul continues his words to Elymas here, and he says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're going to be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately it says that the mist and darkness fell upon him, and he, he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And there's an obvious parallel with what happened to, to Paul earlier, right? But here, Elymas doesn't turn from his sin. He continues in, in darkness. And verse 12 Brings us back to the proconsul. Now that God has intervened in a dramatic way, the, the proconsul believes and he sees what's occurred. He's astonished. And again, it's interesting that Luke draws our attention here to the, the teaching of the Lord. It's not just an emotional response, it's not just this warm, fuzzy feeling he has about spiritual things. He understands the teaching of the Lord. He understands here's, here's who I am, here's who God is. Here's how God has provided for me and his son, Jesus Christ, and I believe. I'm placing my confidence in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. I'm trusting the teaching of the Lord, the teaching about Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's the task of missions, the hope of missions. There are a lot of things that we can do as a church. There are a lot of good things that God may call us to do. As we, as we pursue our ultimate calling, God may call us to to, in our individual ministries and as we support people in a church, to, to do some, 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 some great things. To care for the poor, to, to care for the orphan, uh, to, to care for those who are in, in terrible situations, to pursue justice, but ultimately to transform our culture. But ultimately, first and foremost, in order for those things to happen, what must we focus on? We must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's who God is. Here's who we are, people who are in rebellion to God. Here's what God has done for us in our rebellion. He's provided his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Now here's how you need to respond. Believe in Jesus Christ. Turn from your worthless idols and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then allow the fruit of the gospel to be lived out in your life. That's what we're trying to accomplish. It's what we're trying to accomplish in central Illinois It's what we're trying to accomplish in the remotest parts of the world.